Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Imagine running straight into a burning fire. Well, that's exactly what David Hollenbach used to do for a living. He's a retired battalion chief and firefighter, and he also is a veteran of the United States Navy. Today, David is an award-winning author of a book called Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future. He's also a speaker and a certified scrum master, as well as a coach and a teacher. He has a unique methodology, which he'll tell you all about today. If you're in the process of transitioning your career from one you used to love to one maybe you don't love so much anymore, or you're just looking for a change in your life, I highly recommend listening to today's episode. David has done a masterful job of switching from one career and morphing into another and really successfully building out his personal brand. Enjoy today's episode of The Business of You featuring David Hollenbeck. David, welcome to The Business of You. How's your day going so far? Going great. I'm uh, coming to you from sunny Orlando, Florida. It's like 70 degrees out right now. Oh, so nice. It's uh, snowy where I am. Even We have more snow now than we did in the, in the center of the winter. <laughs> Hard to believe. Well, you have... Such a fascinating background from from what I read about you. I'm really eager to hear your story. You've spent the last 23 years working um, in the fire station, the fire battalion, um, but your your earlier path was not the the path you ended up on, right? So can you can you share a little bit of where things went for you um, starting as early as high school? Like where were you born and what was your early life like? And then where did you go to, to college? And that type of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Orlando. Okay. My mom and dad met when my dad was in the Navy. They met at the Naval Training Center in Orlando. I was born in the Naval Hospital, um, which is now uh, a VA clinic, I believe. Uh, the the base is no longer there. It's now a really nice uh, uh, residential area, um, and you know I, I just you know I grew up uh, I guess a normal. It's not too uh, different from most people's lives growing up. My my parents divorced when I was five, and uh, you know there was there was ups and downs. Um, and one thing that I do talk about, uh, in my book a little bit is, is 
ACE, the ACE study, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, which um, most everybody has their share of trauma when they were a child and and how that um, uh, actually affects our adult life if we don't deal with those traumas. And uh, I never dealt with anything until well into my career in the fire service. And that ultimately led to what I'm doing now. I really try and help veterans and first responders that are struggling with PTSD. I had my own struggles and, uh, and you know, we can talk about that a little bit later, but um, you know, when I, when I graduated high school, uh, I, you know, I was an athlete. I had decent grades. I originally wanted to go to the Naval Academy, but I wasn't that good of an athlete or that smart. So, <laughs> well, or, you know, applied myself. I feel like I'm fairly intelligent, uh, but I didn't apply myself back then. And so my grades were not uh, what you would want if you want to get into a military academy. So I, I went to community college um, for a, a brief period. Um, I tried to enlist in the military, but because of a uh, pretty bad uh, right leg injury when I was in high school, I, I couldn't enlist. I had screws in my, in my tibia and uh, had had multiple surgeries. Well, in order to pay for school, I was doing the work study program at the local community college, uh, which had me taking care of the baseball fields. And I was riding on the fender of this tractor. Uh, we were going through one of the, the practice fields in the outfield. Uh, there was a pretty big dip. I got launched off the fender. When I landed, I felt a and I, you know, felt it in the, the top of my, my tibia. I looked and one of the screws had backed out of the bone uh, to the point where it had stretched the skin so tight that you could make out the, the, the type of uh, bit that you would need to extract the screw the rest of the way. So it was, uh, that, that was pretty cool, uh, because that led to me getting the hardware out and I could then finally enlist. I had to sign a medical waiver that, uh, basically said that if anything happened, if I re-injured the leg, the Navy could discharge me and they would not, uh, be required to, you know, give me any kind of disability or whatever. And so. You know, after doing uh, my training, my advanced training, I was a gas turbine mechanic. A uh, little ways into school, I, I fell on some stairs, and you know, actually, somebody's knee kind of fouled me up, uh, leading to me falling. And uh, it was just a bunch of us running upstairs to get to the showers after PT uh, to try and get a little bit of hot water, and. Uh, Bunch of people fell on top of me, and uh, I walked around with a fractured fibula for about two weeks before the the pain was where I had to go to medical, and uh, and that led to my my discharge ultimately after finishing second in my class for 
uh, gas turbine mechanics school. Um, I, you know, it was pretty frustrating because I, I really wanted to make a career out of the Navy. And then, uh, it felt like that got taken away from me. Um, but then that led to me going back to school. I got my associate's degree, uh, where I majored in fire science, went to the fire Academy and EMT school. Uh, you know, I volunteered as a firefighter, uh, for a while. Uh, and then was hired on with a, a large metropolitan fire department in uh, in Central Florida, uh, which was the department that my dad retired from. It was the department that I kind of grew up in because, you know, when he got out of the Navy, he became a firefighter. Uh, so I just kind of, I followed in his footsteps, uh, I, I guess, in a way. And, um, and I just, I, I spent over 20 years with that department, uh, working in some really busy firehouses. After becoming a lieutenant, I went back to school to get my bachelor's degree and my master's degree uh, in, in public administration and had worked with some really amazing people developing a leadership program for the department that you know, was later used by other departments. And uh, it's, it's a source of pride for me. It was a, a great program. And um, yeah, I, I would say that my time in the fire service was amazing, but it also uh, exposed me to a, a lot of pretty horrific things. And uh, you know, people that spend their adult life working in a career field where it's either, you know, combat, law enforcement, EMS, fire department, you end up seeing a lot of pretty horrible things. And and if you don't deal with it, if you don't uh, process that, it can you know, it can fester and, and lead to uh, PTSD. Uh, so later in my career, uh, you know, I, I struggled with that. What did you find to help you process um, all that you had experienced? And is it something you're still working through? Oh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's definitely something that uh, you continuously work on. Um, and I, I'd say that there isn't any one and done fix type of thing. Um, when I left the fire service, it wasn't really uh, what I wanted to do. But like we were talking earlier, things happen for a reason, you know, and, and when I left, it was in uh, late in 2019. 2019 was a year where I, I I saw a lot of pretty bad things, and and uh, and it started to take its toll. Having a lot of a lot of nightmares, and um, really making poor decisions in my personal life, which then 
you know, ultimately cost my cost me my career. Um, I was a, I had enough time in that I was able to retire, uh, and but because I didn't want to leave. And because it was such a humbling experience and, um, you know, I I went to a really dark place and I I hadn't accepted the fact that I was as bad as I was. I knew I was struggling and I tried to get some help, but really didn't do everything that I could to, to get the help that I needed. And, uh, and it wasn't until I, I really, I mean, you know, I almost took my own life. And it was in the moments and the, the days after that experience, um, I committed to myself that, well, one, I would never do that again. I would do everything that I could to heal and become the person that I knew I could become and be somebody that I could be proud of and that my daughter could be proud of. And, and so I just, uh, I I did the work. I went, got counseling, went to a, a program at UCF that was designed for combat veterans and first responders that were struggling with PTSD. It was uh, a program that was made available uh, to law enforcement and fire and EMS after the Pulse massacre at the the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And um, it was, was a really good program. There are, uh, some schools of thought that believe that that is not the most effective method, which is um, exposure therapy. Um, there's EMDR, uh, which is eye movement, it's like rapid eye movement desensitization uh, therapy. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of different methods that clinicians use to help people struggling with PTSD, and I, I would I've tried them all. I think, <laughs> and everyone has helped me address other you know pieces of uh, what I what I struggle with. So um, I, I ended up going to uh, a retreat in South Dakota that was an amazing experience with me uh, or an ex- an amazing experience for me that was um actually what kept me on track to publish my book uh prior to that retreat i had become so frustrated with my book and really feeling like you know, nobody's going to read this. And, you know, who am I to write a book? All of that uh, imposter syndrome stuff. Um, and I came very close to just deleting everything. And and then went to the retreat, realized that I wasn't the only one dealing with the stuff that I was dealing with. And that sharing my experience and sharing the lessons that I've learned um, 
could help somebody avoid making that decision to take their own life. And, um, and then not just the mental health aspect. Like I, I talk a lot about the importance of self-leadership um, in the book and, and developing a, a grand strategy for your life. And you know, I, I've read this quote, I don't know how many times on different platforms and social media and all that, but it's, um, you know, if you don't know to which port you're sailing, you know, you'll never get to where you're going. And, and, and so having a plan, knowing where it is that you want to be later down the road, knowing what kind of person it is that you want to be and staying true to, to those values. Um, is is a big part of my book and my book is, is fireproof your grand strategy for transforming failure into fuel for your future so i originally started writing the book in 2010 right after my brother passed away um but it was a leadership book for the fire service that's what i was writing and when I left the fire service and was struggling with my mental health and depression, really, really, you know, having to, to dig deep, I was very familiar with philosophy and uh, world religions and that sort of thing. And, and I, I, had done a lot of research throughout my life. And then here I am in this, uh, this time of my life where nothing seems to matter or make sense. And, uh, woe is me, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, and then I just fell back on stuff that I had been teaching the people in the fire department. Um, the importance of self-leadership and when you don't know what to do, find somebody that does. And ultimately, I believe that we're all seeking the same thing, which is happiness, a sense of fulfillment, and one of the, the purest forms of fulfillment comes from helping others succeed. And if you can find uh, your purpose in helping others succeed, um, you know, by doing the things that you're gifted at, uh, I mean, the, the, the sense of fulfillment that I experience when I'm helping others overcome, um, their demons is awesome. Or when I, when I help, uh, fire service professionals, promote and realize their professional goals. Um, it, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is totally. What would you say is your definition of self-leadership? My definition of self-leadership is, you know, owning your mistakes, you know, being honest with yourself and really committing time to personal development. 
um, so that you're better able to add value to others. Um, you know, know what your core values are. And, and a lot of times we don't sit down and, and explore that. Like what, what is, what is most important to us? How do we want others to, to view us when, when we leave this earth, what, what legacy do we want to leave behind? You know, how do we want people to remember us? And, um, and I think if we don't explore that, uh, it's really easy to just not live up to who you really want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. You're not living up to your potential if you don't take the time to do some of that deeper work. And, and back to your point about essentially like setting your compass or setting your GPS, right. Figuring out where you want to go. Um, well, you definitely have overcome, uh, quite a bit. It sounds like, and, getting on the other side of of dark difficult thoughts to where you're feeling how you are today which is you know writing a book launching a podcast completely switching careers is what you've done and like launch a whole new business that takes tremendous energy and tremendous comfort with risk too right um so i just give you so much credit for for doing that and changing what's going on in your mind to realizing that you have so much to give. Um, that's, that's just wonderful. So I'm glad you've come around to that. What, what motivated you to pick up the book again from 2010? I'm guessing you picked it up again. Was it 2019 or 20? No, I, I had picked it up and put it down probably every year since 2010. And as I evolved as a leader, I would change what I had written or I would add to it. Um, I had a lot of content and a lot of it was based in philosophy and uh, military leadership, um, leadership theory and, and practices. Uh, uh, when I was working on my master's, that was when I was uh, introduced to emotional intelligence, which uh, was really eye-opening to me. Um, I had been teaching these soft skills in in the leadership courses that I was teaching because I felt those were the areas that were lacking most in the fire service. You know, effective communication skills, empathy, um, building and developing solid relationships so that you can develop your teams, um, being more self-aware. And these those pieces of emotional intelligence are all areas that women tend to score much higher than men. And the fire service being a male dominated occupation, I was like, oh, you know, all these light bulbs went off and I'm like, well, this is why these are the skills that we're, you know, struggling to develop within the fire service. And, um, and when I looked at the numbers, 
the fire service is lagging behind every other male-dominated occupation in the United States. Um, the fire service in 2010, according to the, the census, uh, professional, the professional fire service paid firefighters, the workforce was 3.7% female, whereas other occupations that were similar in education requirements, danger, shift work, all that kind of stuff, um, was 17% or higher. That was the closest. Yeah. And then 10 years later, the 2020 census, the fire service achieved, you know, great success in bringing it up to 4.7%. <laughs> and it, while the, the fire service in the United States has done a lot of great work in, in hiring more women, the work needs to be done on the culture so that it's more inclusive because while the fire service is hiring more women, they're not retaining them. Uh, I've found that most women, when they come into the fire service, they may do six to 10 years, but ultimately they'll leave for uh, a career where their skills and abilities are valued uh, to a higher degree. And I mean, you can't fault anybody for that. So yeah, I would, I, I've worked a little bit with um, organizations on that, really realizing that it's the culture that's got to change. Yeah. Um, did I answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I had asked about the book and kind of what made you come back to it. And um, who would you say is is the right audience for the book? Is it leaders from any industry? Yeah, it it is really a, a book on self-exploration and, and developing a plan for your life. And while I do talk about my time in the fire service and you know mistakes that I made in my personal and professional life, um, they're, I believe they're universal lessons, and I believe that leadership is universal. Uh, so I think it's a book for anybody that, that might feel isolated or that they're at a loss um, for which way to go. Uh, when, I, when I came back to the book, it, it was in 2020, um, after um, really digging deep uh, and and going back to reading some of the things that I had been writing over the last several years and realizing that I had not been leading myself. I had not been holding myself accountable, holding myself to the same standards that I was holding my people to. And, and that really frustrated me. To, I, I just really realized that I had not been doing the work. And, and so I wanted to write a book that was more real, whereas a lot of leadership books, they talk about this is how you do it right. This is you know, who you want to be. These are the traits of a great leader. But what about when you know all that and you're still struggling? What about when you make mistakes because you're human? 
And, you know, maybe giving yourself some grace when you do make those mistakes. And, um, you know, because one thing that I realized that I was doing a lot of was just beating myself up for mistakes that I had made. And I would never treat anybody that way that I was leading. Um, and, and so I, I really had to do a lot of work in that area uh, to, you know, just be nicer to myself and, and give myself credit for the good things that I had done. Um, I was very, very successful in my career. I, I was highly decorated, highly trained, very well respected until I, I made some mistakes. And, uh, you know, yeah, you got to hold yourself accountable. But at some point, you also got to recognize the good that you've brought to, to this world as well. Yeah, so true. And sometimes I think those mistakes are God's way of redirecting our, our path, too. Um, how has it been for you? Like, what steps did you actually take? Because, again, just thinking back through the time period, these last two, three years have been a really unusual time to start a business, yet so many people are launching businesses over these last two, three years. So what were some of the practical steps you took to launch your business after you realized you wanted to, you know, offer consulting services, position yourself as a speaker, an author, right? What was it the book that you finished first and then started some of the other in some of the other areas or did something else come first? Well, I, I had finished the, the rough draft of the book. And I knew that I needed editing. So I had to find an editor. Um, I had already started doing consulting um, within the fire service, but it was, it was more analyzing fire department services for, for fire departments and uh, really where they stood in the grand scheme of you know, the overall fire service, you know, there, there's certain standards that you, you want to maintain and uh, standards that are, you know, the usual. And how do you compare to, to the, the top tier? And there, so it's like accreditation, uh, really the different areas of accreditation those were kind of the areas that I would evaluate and assess and give my uh, my official opinion, my expert opinion on what they needed to do to to raise their standards um, or their standard of cover. That was not enjoyable for me. I I really wanted to work with people. And I knew that uh, I knew that working with fire department people might not be ideal for me at that time because I was still struggling with stuff and and I didn't want to unload any of my stuff onto somebody else. <laughs> so so I I went into a different direction, really focused on. Um, you know, the business world and, and helping 
uh, young um, professionals develop as leaders and managers, uh, well, really helping managers become better leaders. That was when I I went and got certified through the John Maxwell team as a as a speaker and a coach. Uh, got DISC certified, and I have enjoyed speaking for a long time and felt that that would be right up my alley. So uh, I, I joined the National Speakers Association and have been. I think this is my second year with them now. And, uh, you know, it's it's just been looking at the people that are doing things right and trying to emulate them and asking a lot of questions. And starting my podcast was a a great help uh, because I'm interviewing people like you, you know, interviewing uh, professionals and and people that are doing great things and and I learn from every person that I interview. Uh, so it's been it's been a slow process, but it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it feels slow, but we're still at the beginning of 2023. You've got a book, you've got a podcast that has well over 150 episodes, right? You're almost at 200 episodes. You're monetizing a couple different services. You have some new certifications. So to me, it, it sounds like you've done a lot, actually, in a, in a short time and really building out an amazing, amazing platform. So I definitely commend you for that. Like I said, it's not easy. And overcoming your stuff, too, right, on top of it. So ultimately, the, the goal is to help others realize that they're not alone and that there are resources because um, that was one of my biggest things is is not uh you know i felt really isolated and i felt like nobody could understand what i was struggling with right and, and it's just not true right yeah no I, I think there there are a lot of people still struggling and hearing stories like yours and seeing you on the other side is something extremely inspiring so Glad you're doing the work to uh, to get your words out there, to get your advice out there. Uh, so as we wrap up, actually, where is the best place for people to find out about you, to buy your book? They can go to my website, uh, hollenbachleadership.com. Um, or my book is available, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that. I, I'm working on the audio book now, so hopefully that'll be out sooner rather than later. <laughs> Perfect. And your podcast is called From Embers to Excellence, right? Yes, ma'am. And Excellent. I, I just wanted to share one of the tools that's in the book. Um, I talk about this in, in a couple of my uh, workshops. If you imagine uh, a sphere and within that sphere is everything that you control. Just outside of that sphere is everything that you have influence over. Now, when you think of what we actually have control over, it's how we respond, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Uh, We can influence our health, 
our our family life, our career, our education, we can influence all of those things, right? We can influence the people that we work with. And then outside of that sphere is everything that we have zero control over and uh, zero influence over. And a lot of times we'll find ourselves focusing so much of our energy worrying about all the things that we have zero control over and zero influence over. And what that does is it shrinks our our sphere of influence and can shrink our sphere of control. If we focus our energy on on all those things that we can control, that sphere will actually grow. And that leads to our sphere of influence growing. And that's where we can really impact the world. So I don't know if that's helpful for anybody, but uh, it, it was definitely a, a great visual for me. Yeah, it's your framework for self-leadership, right? I mean, yes. it's, no, I've never actually heard th- heard it described that way, but just you pointing out how much we as humans tend to focus on the area we have zero control over, I think is so, so true. Um, And that's what puts us into that downward spiral, right? Like we'll feel helpless because we can't control all this. But if we just shift our focus and think about that inner, that inner part of the sphere, sphere, and then those actions, right. And what that, the domino effect from those actions, I mean, I could see just how thinking about that could take somebody from dark to light, you know, just kind of in an instance is in just getting them to think about where do you have the most control, you know? Right. I love that. That's great. That I'm so glad you shared that. And, um, and I hope that starts to take up some prominent real estate on your website too, because that is a, a brilliant visual. That's a great idea. Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the show, Dave. It's been great having you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Had a great time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.